Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? All right. Good, good. Well, listen, I bring greetings to you from Brian, the other teaching pastor here, and Chuck Regal and John McNeese and Brian Hoig. All of them uh, just got done with worship a few hours ago in the great nation of Kenya. And they are there right now, and we FaceTimed with them a little bit earlier on this morning, but they're doing great, and send you their greetings and their, their thoughts and their hearts are here with you, even though their beings are over there. But uh, continue to pray for them. They're going to be getting back about the middle, middle of this week, meeting with some of our pastors that we support here. It's part of Northwest, encouraging those guys, spending time with them, teaching, training, and uh, being a blessing to them. So make sure to remember them in your prayers. Well, we're going to continue on in our service by uh, having the second part of what we started last week. Those of you that were here last week know that we entered into talking about how do we discern gray areas, different issues, different topics that people uh, that love God and are mature honestly disagree on. How do we discern those? How do we make decisions for those difficult things where scripture isn't necessarily crystal clear on that? And um, if you were here last week, you know that we had five different issues here that we just used for illustration's sake. We had the issue of dancing, media choices, drinking, smoking, and gambling. Okay, those were the five that we had here last week just for illustration sake. And one of the things that came out from last week that was quite fun was that uh, Brian uh, is not necessarily a good dancer, he doesn't think. So I propose that we take an offering right here, right now, and uh, we get him some lessons, and uh, in a couple weeks we can see the fruit of our labor. Maybe not. But anyway, so we had fun with that, but th those are tough topics where a lot of people disagree on. This week, we're going to have the second part of that series that we started last week. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about two more questions that you can ask yourself to help weed through this personal conviction in gray areas. But let me start out just by asking you this question. You ever get into an argument where you're both right? You ever experienced one of those? Someone's like, yeah, on the way here uh, with my wife. Yes, that happened, and that's fresh. Thanks for reminding me. We both thought we were right. You know, that's, that's what the argument was. No, but you ever, you ever had one of those situations? I remember once when I was in about third or fourth grade growing up in New Jersey, my best friend Ming and I had a little bit of a um, love together for all things out in the woods. Frogs, snakes, turtles, fish, anything like in nature, we would just spend hours and hours and hours together exploring, collecting, letting things loose inside the house, that sort of thing, right? Well, one day we were walking home from school and I said, buddy, I found this spot in this pond that we were going by and, uh, and there's always fish there. And if there's one spot right on the bridge, you look down and you could see these huge fish there. Let's go by and, and, and I bet you, I bet you that we will see a fish. All right, talk about gambling. This was my beginning of gambling, right, when I was in fifth grade. So we shook on it. We bet $5. And so we go over and we get to this bridge and we look over this bridge right at this one spot where there's a nice deep hole. We look down and we see two huge fish side by side. They're like that big, just sitting there. I'm like, ah, awesome. Pay up, man. It's like, no, no, what are you talking about? You didn't win the bet. I won the bet. Well, how did you win the bet? Uh, you can see that I won the bet. We bet that we would see a fish. Yeah, yeah, but we didn't see one fish. We saw two fish. What? 
He's like, yeah, we saw two fish. We didn't see one fish. I'm like, well, you had to see one fish in order to see two fish because the laws of addition say you had to see one. And then what you saw on top of the one doesn't matter because we clearly saw one. And then there was another. No, we saw two. And he said to me, he said, well, if you were to say that you saw one fish, you would be lying. Wouldn't you be lying? Because you didn't see one fish. You saw two fish. So we started to wrestle, we started to fight, we started to gouge, I'm not kidding. I believe hair pulling was involved. You know, it was in fifth grade, so just keep that in mind. So we, we got a huge fight about it, and for weeks, our friendship, there was a rift in this great friendship because of the two fish versus one fish controversy. So you can look at that and be like, well, that's a silly example. It is silly, but it's a true example. And I guess you could look at it and be like, well, depending on your perspective, we were both right. And I bring that to you because in in a lot of areas of scripture and what we talked about here last week and what we're going to dive into here this morning, there can be those areas where depending on your perspective, depending on the lens that you look at this situation through, there's a possibility that you can both be right. The reason we wanted to bring this to our attention as a church is because it's undoubtable in the history of churches and all across this country, there are factions, disagreements, anger towards one another because of some of these types of things. Differences of opinion. And the ones that we chose last week were obviously a little bit more antiquated maybe for some. But it's undoubtable that we need to be ready as a church and as individuals for these other questions that come up that aren't mentioned in scripture and that we didn't mention by name last week because culture is constantly changing. A couple months ago, I was actually in the great state of Colorado visiting a very good pastor friend of mine, Steve Garcia, and his wife, Kate, who many of you know. And in Colorado, of course, it is legal to smoke marijuana. And so we're sitting out there on his back porch, hanging out, just catching up. And right across the way, just, you know, 50 feet from us, there's a bunch of people out there just smoking marijuana right out in the open and loving life. And it just is so odd and so strange as somebody, honestly, who has never in my life before two months ago even been around that or observed that. It's like, what in the world? They're doing that. Well, that's going to be legal. And the question is undoubtedly going to be asked, well, if it's legal in the state of North Carolina, well, why, why couldn't you do that? Or what about the idea of like going to a wedding or a baby shower or an adoption shower or a, a um, bride's shower or something like that and being invited to a wedding and going and participating uh, in supporting something that you disagree with as far as lifestyle choices go? You been caught in that situation yet? Well, that's not black and white in scripture, how you respond to to friends and acquaintances, maybe even family members that you disagree with. You know what I'm saying? You see how weedy it gets and how muddy, weedy I just said, no pun intended from the other thing. You see how muddy it gets? It's these questions come barreling down at us. And as a church, if we haven't really taken the time to dive into some of these difficult truths, we're gonna get caught and indecision, or making the wrong decision. So last week we gave you the first two questions from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Number one, is it beneficial? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12. Will this help me? Is it beneficial to me physically? Is it beneficial to me spiritually? Is the benefit that I find from it in uh, the case of enjoyment or entertainment? 
And that's fine, that's not bad. But is it beneficial to me? The second question that we asked last week is, will it enslave me? Paul says, yeah, all things are lawful, but I don't want to be mastered by anything. I don't want to be obsessed with it. I don't want to be addicted to it. I don't want to be, you know, in, in a situation where I'm enslaved to it. So will it master me? Is it there, that potential? Is that there? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And point number three, question number three that we're going to be spending almost the majority of our time here this morning on is this. Will it cause someone else to stumble? Will it cause someone else to stumble? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And just as a reminder, this particular issue that we're diving into is one that was very fresh and very controversial uh, to the church at Corinth. It was causing all kinds of divisions because you had people that loved God that saw the issue entirely on different sides. And so they wrote specifically asking Paul, can you help us as somebody who's mature, who's somebody who represents God, can you, can you help us understand how we should respond? So let's go ahead and dive right in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now concerning food that is offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So right out of the gate, before Paul gets into the argument, before he gets into the issue and dissecting it all, he says we need to have a spirit of humility. He said, you know that all of us possess knowledge, okay? We know about scripture, we've been around, but knowledge can have a tendency, if left unchecked, to puff up, he says. Knowledge can have a tendency to kind of get you uh, spiritually proud and haughty so you're looking down on other people that maybe don't have that same understanding, don't have that same knowledge. And Paul's saying it's vitally important when we step into this to realize that if you know a lot about scripture, you've been walking with God for a long time, the temptation is gonna be to be judgmental mental, and to look down on other people. He says, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up yourself, but love builds up other people. So right out of the gate, he says, when we're diving into this, we need to be aware that pride needs to be set aside and we need to do everything in love and build each other up. Okay, so what's going on in this situation? What is all this meat sacrifice to idols? What does that mean? Well, in the city of Corinth, like we've talked about for several weeks, it was a city that was about as far away from God as you could get. Just about all of the people participated in weekly um, sacrifices and weekly worship of idols. And you know from Scripture, uh, even the Ten Commandments, there is no, thou shalt not make any graven image. Well, they had all kinds of idols in all these different temples, and their culture was they would go several times a week with their livestock they would bring them to the temple. The temple priest would bless the animal, would offer this animal to the gods, to the idols. So this animal would then be dedicated to the idols. Then the animal would be slaughtered. It's a pleasant picture for us on a Sunday morning, right? 
The animal would be slaughtered. The priest would take a portion of the meat for himself. That's how he got paid. Okay, so paying in T-bone steaks to the clergy. Doesn't sound like too bad of an idea to me. But that's how they got paid. They took some of that for themselves and then they gave the rest back to the family. And the options were several. They could either, you know, some of the portion that the priest kept, some of it was sold in the temple as part of feasts and eating together right there in the temple. The temples were set up with kind of big dining rooms all around and so they would actually eat some of that there. The priest would take some for himself personally. The family would take some for themselves personally at home. And they would also put some in the market um, and, and sell the meat at a discounted rate there in the market. So those were, those were the ways that, that this was eaten. This was a Gentile pagan practice that was prevalent and commonplace there in Corinth. So now for the ones that had taken the step of faith and now believed in Jesus, there was a little bit of a problem for some of them. And the first group of people is the mature Jewish Christians. They were the ones living in freedom and they were the ones, honestly, that didn't have any problem at all with eating the meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Let's start reading in verse 4. Here's what Paul says, Therefore, as to the eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. In other words, they're saying, food sacrifice to idols, bring it on. Doesn't matter. It's not tainted. It's not affected at all. I love steak. I'm going to eat in the temple. I'm going to grab some in the doggy bag and bring it home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat all of this that I can, and it is no problem whatsoever for me. Why? All those idols aren't real. They don't mean anything. We have that knowledge we're mature. We understand that all this is just fake. So if I can get a discounted piece of filet mignon, I will look at it as a blessing from God. I'm saving your money and I'm eating this to your glory. Wow, good job on creating the cows, dear God. Loving it. No problem whatsoever. Mature Jewish Christians. That was their take on it. And Paul recognizes all that. He doesn't criticize them for it. He's like, you're right. You're mature. You've got the knowledge. That's true. But don't let it puff you up. Don't let it puff you up. Because there's some people that have another perspective. I want to talk to you about another group of people. Immature Jewish Christians. Maybe they were newer to the faith. But remember, in the context, in this Jewish world, they knew the Old Testament up and down. As a matter of fact, the book of Psalms, that was used as their hymn book. And the ancient uh, uh, nation of Israel, the book of Psalms, that was what they sang. That was what they quoted. That's what they meditated on. That's what they memorized. And so when they hear about food sacrificed to idols, undoubtedly their minds went to Psalm 106. 
We won't take the time to turn there now, but it's a massive uh, collection of listing out all these different situations where God came through and God intervened. And about halfway through that book, there's a situation where it says, well, some of you uh, ate food that was sacrificed to idols and you participated in Baal worship and God was very displeased and came down to administer justice. But then Phineas an Old Testament saint rose up and intervened and rescued the people. And it's a great, heroic, incredible story. But the point is this. Some of those immature Jewish Christians said, oh, food sacrifice to idols, Psalm 106, can't do it. God's going to be upset with us. And it was a situation where they didn't necessarily understand the whole context, didn't see the whole story. Because in Psalm 106, the people were worshiping Baal. They were participating in the worship of idols, not just eating the meat, but they took that one little piece, extrapolated it, and brought it all the way over here and applied it to their situation uh, thousands of years later. You have anybody who does that or could be accused of that in the Christian world? Taking an obscure Old Testament concept or a verse or something, just kind of plucking that out and bringing it way over here and says, aha! This is the way you should act. I see a lot of that actually, right? I've had conversations with people that will point to an uh, obscure verse in Leviticus about tattooing your bodies and saying no Christian should ever have a tattoo. It says it right there in Levit Leviticus. And the only problem is that was for a specific group of people in a very specific time for a specific reason. And you don't see that anywhere else throughout scripture, right? In the Song of Solomon, you see a reference to the lover who says, I've set your seal upon my heart and a seal upon my arm. So maybe he had his, you know, one of his wife's names tattooed on his arm. Any guys here got that? Any wives want your husbands to get that? <laughs> I see lots of shaking of heads, Right? Oh, what about Revelation? It says, Jesus came and it said right on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes on his stallion with his sword, is that a tattoo? Could be, right? But there's no way you could take that tiny little thing and say, nope, for us today, no such thing as tattoos. I don't see that at all. If that were the case, you'd have to go back to Levit Leviticus, take every one of those little regulations about what kind of threads you can wear and how you shave your beard and all these other minutiae, right? They didn't get the whole story. That was a second group of people. You see that here in the text? I know this is uh, deep and we are diving deep into chapter eight, but see that. So that was causing confusion to some people. And then the third group of people are the ones that really, really had the problem. And these were the immature Christian Gentiles. So these were not a people that were part of the Jewish faith. These were Gentiles that used to participate in this idol worship, had heard about Jesus and were taking that step of faith. Now they're Christ followers, but they've got a past. They've got a history. And it's very fresh and real. Keep on reading in the text in verse 7. Paul says, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through a former association with idols, the Gentiles, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. For food will not commend us to God, nor are we, or are we 
No worse off if we do not eat it or better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You notice the hint of sarcasm in the Apostle Paul's speech. Do you have the right? Do you have the freedom to do this? Yep. If you've got knowledge and it's not clearly laid out in Scripture, you've got freedom in Christ. Yes, you do. So could you? Yes. But should you? Because with freedom, as we all know, comes the other side of it, responsibility. Last week, we talked a lot about the freedoms that we have. All things are permissible. But here we dive into a concept that says we are responsible for our brothers and sisters. And that's to be taken very seriously soberly so this idea of becoming a stumbling block is the one that we want to focus on there's a very smart author his name is Gary Habermas and he has a listing of five things that are true if this is really going to be something that happens in a church a stumbling block issue I just want to go over these things with you quickly because they're very vital to this text and to our situations. These are the things that need to be true. Number one, someone participates in a liberty. It may be questionable to some, but it's permissible to him. Steak, idols, temples, who cares? It's cheap. Let's do it. We're fine. God, you good with this? Okay, good. He's good with it. Let's do it. They participate in something. Number two, notice this. A weaker Christian observes this liberty. That's a key point. There's a presence there. There's a visual there. There's an observation there. It's not, oh, I heard that there were some people that did this. The context is an observation that they make. And the weaker Christian sees it. Number three, desiring the same freedom, the weaker brother follows the lead of the strong and participates in the activity. So it's not just, no, I don't like that you do that, or no, I heard that maybe you do that. It's, I see you doing that, and because I desire that same freedom, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to watch that, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to drink that, or I'm going to participate in that, just like you. Because I want to be like you. If you've got that freedom, I should have that freedom. So I'm going to go ahead and do this as well. Notice number four. But because the weaker did not act in his own conscience, he is, scripture calls it, wounded and grieved. Because Christian liberty allows for different convictions If I try to go based on this person's convictions and it's not, something doesn't settle with me, it's not right, the Spirit of God convicts me that I shouldn't have done that because I'm going to be tempted to go back into what I used to do. That's where the stumbling block issue is. And notice number five as well. For the stronger believer is informed that he's responsible for the condition of his brother's conscience. There's communication I mention all of these things to you because it's important that we recognize that it's not just, oh, I dislike what you're doing. It's I'm going to be perhaps tempted to enter into something I was involved with before. And in the world of Christianity, there's a lot of 
differing opinions. And a lot of things that some people do that others dislike and will use this idea of a stumbling block. I remember when I was in high school, believe it or not, I used to be, I know this is hard to believe, but I used to be in a rock and roll band. You're looking at a former high school rock star right here. The band was called Sunday Night with a K, like Knight Rider, apparently. But we were something else, man, and we were all guys that loved God, and, um, and we loved music. And I was the guitar player, the electric guitar player, very poor electric guitar player, one string solos, you know. One string, that's it. Not like these guys up here. But I was in a rock band, a Christian rock band. And I can remember being pulled aside. Some of you are going to like, Sunday night? Hmm. Let's see if there's a Wikipedia on that. No, I don't think so. Very small time band. Very small time. But I remember one lady pulled me aside. She and her husband, they said, we need to tell you that what you're doing is a stumbling block to us. And I'm like, what? She's like, you know, you wait playing those electric guitars. I remember the, the woman said, Jerry, she said, the electric guitar, it really scares me. Really? Yes, it frightens me. So I think she thought like anytime you're playing rock music, it's like Kiss or like some heavy metal band, you know, with like a riotous crowd and like just extreme chaos. And I thought about like, that was, you know, if I was a little bit uh, more brave, at that point in my life, I would have been like, hmm, electric guitars scare her. You know, 11 o'clock at night, knock on the door, have my guitar, sit it right there on the stand, and then just go scurrying away and see what happens. You know? No! But the point is, is that a stumbling block issue? Absolutely not. Why? If I would have walked her through this, okay. Well, are you tempted to be involved in a rock and roll band? It's like a 60-year-old woman. All right, no offense to anybody here. Sure, it could happen, and it could be quite impressive. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, is this causing you to somehow go back into some lifestyle of like, you know, chasing after some band and being some sort of groupie and involved in like drugs and alcohol and traveling around and like, are you tempted to go back? Why, no, I would never do that. So it's not really a stumbling block to you, is it? Right? Do you see the difference? But the the heartbeat behind this is that we owe it to our brothers and to our sisters to be aware that our liberties don't hurt them. Listen to the tone that the Apostle Paul uses here in verse, 12, in verse 11. He says, and so by your knowledge, if this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, he says, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. In other words, Paul says the importance of this community and this body being together in love and showing deference to one another and showing value to one another, being careful that we don't injure or cause each other to stumble or be confused. He says, if you do that to your brother, you do that to Jesus. You're reminded of what Christ himself said, right, in, in Matthew chapter 25, where he said, inasmuch as you've done it, even to the least, you've done it unto me. How you treat each other is how you treat Christ. And you can tell he takes this whole stumbling block issue so seriously 
Because over and over and over in the context, it says the immature believer, the one that doesn't have all the knowledge. And that's not in a condescending way. That's just at a different stage of maturity way. We wouldn't say that a seven-year-old has less value than a 10-year-old, has less value than a 15-year-old, has less value than a 30-year-old. They're just on different stages in the journey. And in the same way, you wouldn't take a seven-year-old and say, hey, come on over here and let me teach you how to drive a 2,000-pound motor vehicle. Let me get your booster seat, sit right there. Okay, good, let's teach you how to drive. You wouldn't do that, why? They're not ready for that freedom. They're not mature enough necessarily for that freedom. There's no difference in value to the body. They're just at different points. And what Paul's saying right here is we who have liberty, if you've got certain decisions that you've made, you need to be keenly aware of those that are around you and make sure that what you're doing isn't damaging to them. We need to let love rule in this place. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. This is the pinnacle of his argument. Paul says, therefore, if it's food that makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So what is Paul saying here? That he's going to become a vegetarian forever? No, that's not really the context. But what he's saying is, I'm going to be aware of who's around. I'm going to be aware of situations and backgrounds. And if possible, if it needs to be, I'm going to give up my liberty so that I don't cause somebody else to stumble. I could do it, but I'm choosing not to do it. Because I so value the body of Christ and my brothers and my sisters. So my question for you this morning is, as you think about your liberties, do you know the spiritual stories of the other people that are around you when you're going to be doing whatever it is that is? Are you aware of their backgrounds? Or could it be that a liberty that maybe we could do would cause that person to stumble, to return, to be tempted to enter back into a lifestyle that they are not ready for. True love for one another shows deference and shows sacrifice. And I love this story a couple years ago when it came out. I don't know if some of you remember the Texas Rangers baseball team. There's a player on the Rangers. His name was Josh Hamilton. Went to school somewhere right down here, right? One of the schools here in Raleigh. Incredible baseball player, but had a difficult road. Addicted, alcoholic, almost completely ruined his life, but has made a, made a comeback, got his life straight, got some accountability. Well, when the Texas Rangers won the American League Championship Series a couple years ago, somebody from his team said, guys, you know what? We all know Josh. We know Josh's story. What do you say we do something different this time? Every team that's ever won a championship or a World Series or, you know, the Super Bowl or whatever, you see that scene in the locker room, you know what goes on there. It's celebration, it's champagne, it's craziness. Do we have the right to do that if we won? Is that what's expected? 
It's definitely what's expected. Do we have the right? Yeah, we got the right. But let's do something different. So I don't know if you remember these scenes, but there's Josh Hamilton. He's getting doused right now. And there's the locker room scene. And there's everybody holding up plastic containers of ginger ale. Let's keep the champagne away. Let's bring out the Schweppes. Put it on ice. Why? Because we love Josh. And we don't want to see him stumble. And that's just an illustration from people that largely, probably most of them don't know God. But how much more should we as the church take care of one another and let love rule? Skip over to chapter 10 as we close. I just want to read another verse to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Paul says this, All things are lawful. That's the mantra that this church has that he keeps on reminding them of. All things are lawful, he says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Verse 24. So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let's be a church and let's be a body and let's be a family that doesn't look to just what we have the right to do, but looks at what's going to affect our brother and our sister and take care that we don't become a stumbling block to them. The last question that we have is here from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to fully build on that one next week. But the last question is, will it, will this activity glorify God? Of all the attention that you could get, is it going to be glorifying yourself or is it going to be glorifying God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So what do we say to all these things? Be careful with your liberty. Be careful with your freedom. In things related to doctrine or theology, we want to be unwavering. Our statement of faith, the things that we know to be true, they're black and white. These are the ones that we're going to champion, these doctrines of the faith. No room for disagreement here. But in matters of taste, we want to have grace. And we want to act with all things in love. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the songs that we chose to lead us in worship here this morning. We're centered around the idea of holiness. As a church, we want to be people and we want to be a place that is set aside for God. We want to be a people that are getting ready for that day when we stand in front of God's throne and sing, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the struggle for us every day is, all right, I want to be holy. God said that I'm holy, but I see my reality and I see how I stumble and I see how I'm tempted and I see all the ways that I come short. But what we want to do, what we want to pray for, even through all this, is that God would continually allow us to be a place that is holy. Even through difficult questions, through disagreements, that we would still be a people that are set apart for God's special use. So I'm just going to ask us all to very quietly stand right now. And I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray over us. Just bow our heads together. And God, as we want to come.
come before you this morning as a people on our own that are not worthy, that are not holy. And God, I just pray from the bottom of my heart that your spirit would be working right now in this body of people. Lord, no doubt there's people here that have been flaunting their liberties and unknowingly perhaps doing damage in the process. God, I pray that you would heal that situation, that you would forgive them, that you would reconcile this family together. God, maybe there are some here this morning that don't even know you. Lord, I pray that they would look at this body and see the love that we have for each other and how we want to serve each other and the freedom that we live in, not a list of rules and regulations, but living in joy for what you've done for us. God, I pray that they would be compelled to take that step into that relationship with you and joining this family. And God, for us, we want to sing out to you now. We want to get ourselves ready for that day when we will be in front of your throne. And we will be seeing you in all of your holiness, in all of your beauty. So we love you, God. Be pleased with our worship as we sing. In your son's name we pray.